Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Or another translation says, For it is the wellspring of your life. More than you need to protect anything else in your life, you need to make sure that your heart is kept healthy. That's fascinating, this image of someone protecting, looking over, guarding their their heart. Now, this verse is often quoted to young women by father figures like me, their pastor, saying, please do not give yourself to foolish men who just want to use you as a sexual object and discard you. The implication is, of course, that we are saying, oh, you know, keep yourself from getting hurt and used. Whatever, whatever you do, just try not to be sinned against. Well, I think you and I both know that it's possible to guard our heart and protect our hope, protect our, protect our joy, protect our resilience and our peace. Not because we were able to keep from being sinned against or keep from being hurt. That's not possible in a world like this one, and it's not going to be possible in a world where we follow Jesus with integrity. Jesus said, if this is how they treat me and you follow me with integrity, this is definitely how they're going to also treat you. And in fact, when they treat you like they treat me, that will be a confirmation that you are following me with integrity. So when we talk about guarding our heart, we don't mean do whatever you can to avoid anyone ever hurting your feelings. It's not only not possible, but to live with that as your goal will make pain avoidance rather than love your operating agenda. And when pain avoidance is your operating agenda, that means self is on the throne of your heart, not Jesus on the throne of your heart. So what does it then mean, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life? Well, I think it kind of pictures an ancient city. Ancient cities were surrounded by these protective walls, and there were watchmen on the walls keeping an alert eye on the horizon to see if there were any threats. But there were also gates, and there were gatekeepers who would allow the right people in and keep the wrong people out. And this sort of implies that, you know, you can't just have a life or a heart where, as life comes to you, you just let it happen. There has to be a wisdom in how you navigate the difficulties and decisions of life so that your heart continues to be hopeful and can resiliently rely on the Lord and find peace. There's a way to conduct ourselves in the fear of the Lord, in the reverence of the Lord, that keeps us from sinning. See, that's what this verse is about. It's not about pain avoidance. It's about avoiding sin, and it's about avoiding the unhealthy effects that can happen when we are sinned against. When sin happens to us, a certain kind of distortion in our perspective is natural if we miss the grace of God in the midst of it. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now that is a fascinating... What is that foothold image? Well, the foothold image is, again, someone's attempting to climb over the gate. And Paul's saying in this situation, what it is is, listen, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't brood. Don't hold on to these hurts. Don't let something that happens stay unresolved. And Because what happens is when you stay fixated, when you stay stuck thinking about, looking about, processing some negative thing, some hurt thing, some slight, 
some rejection, some hurtful comment or word, some betrayal behind your back talking about you, or something that happened, when you stay fixated on some injustice or some perceived wrong long term, what happens is you're giving the evil one an access, a, a, a foothold to climb over the wall of your heart, and now you are stuck. Of course, this reminds us of Genesis 19. Lot and his family are leaving Sodom and Gomorrah behind, and as they're leaving the city, they've been warned by the angels, whatever you do, don't look back. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. And Jesus later says, look, you gotta put your hand to the plow of following me. You have to make a clean break and don't look back and remember Lot's wife. Now, why? Why is that story about Lot's wife so, so sticky? Why is so many hundreds of years later is Jesus quoting it in South? Now, thousands of years later, I'm, I'm quoting it to you. What is it about when we get stuck looking back at the loss, at the grief, at what, what could have been and what we think should have been? We then sentimentally inflate the past with gifts it didn't really have. Human memory is a flaky thing. We are profoundly inaccurate at remembering the past. If, if we become bitter, then we only selectively remember those things which justify our current bitterness. And if we're currently happy with some person, we retell the story of our past to make it better than it was. Human memory. Lot's wife is looking back and she becomes frozen in time. She becomes stuck. A lot of the stuff that I've noticed is when we go through hard times, if we, if we let the sun go down on our anger, so to speak, what we dwell on begins to create these neural pathways that cause us to live with reference to the past instead of with reference to the Lord. The past and the pain become, begins to shape us and mold us and define us. And we don't even realize that it has now become our gravitational center around which our planets now orbit. Who would like to sign up to have pain disciple and shape their belief system and their worldview? Life often teaches us things the Lord didn't teach us. And when life teaches us things the Lord didn't teach us, you can guarantee that those things he did not teach us will enslave us because the things he teaches us will make us free. The question we need to be asking is not just, is that accurate, but who is saying that? Because there's facts, and the devil can use facts in order to deceive. But then there's the truth, and the truth will make us free, because truth comes from the person of Jesus. The way Jesus thinks makes us free. Here's the deal. Our actions come from our attitudes. And our attitudes come from our beliefs. And our beliefs are the byproduct of what we have consciously and habitually chosen to focus on. I'm going to say it again, but in reverse. What we habitually choose to focus our thoughts on becomes our beliefs. And our beliefs give rise to stable, fixed attitudes. And out of our attitudes come are spontaneous choices and behaviors. So, 
the determining force of our life is our focus. The most important thing we can do to guard our heart, therefore, is to determine our focus be put on Jesus, the person of Jesus. Philippians 3, Paul said, life's really hard, but this is the one thing that I keep doing. I forget what's behind and I press on toward what's ahead. And my goal is knowing Jesus. I get up in the morning and I seek Jesus. I don't just get up in the morning and let the whole conversation with Jesus be about, Lord, I can't believe this happened, oh my word. As though my little life and my little experience is the most important thing that ever happened. No, there's a universe out there. The way to gain a heart that can experience the power of his resurrection is to get up in the morning and seek Jesus, obey Jesus, and, and suffer with him. Enjoy the fellowship of his sufferings. I always think of the fellowship of the ring. I always think of the Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring, where they set out all together, and as they go along, it's extremely hard. They have to go through many, many difficulties. There's a verse in the book of Acts where the apostles are preaching Jesus and all these people are coming to the Lord and you would think, oh man, this is the best thing ever. It says they gather all these new believers and they exhort them, they exhort them this message. It is through many hardships that we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I just, that's fascinating to me. I wonder if we even understand that that would be the essence of the morning message. That we've got these people, we've introduced all these people to Jesus. It's a move of the Holy Spirit. Most of us would be thinking, this is the best day ever. What's the sermon going to be? It's got to be resurrection. It's got to be the power of the Spirit. It's going to be the authority of the believer. No, no, no. What they need to hear so that they can have the grit to persevere. What they need to hear so that they will be able to choose a bigger perspective and so that their joy will be rooted in something bigger than circumstance. What they need to hear so that when life in this life is hard, they have a vision of a bigger life, life that's deeper than this life, an eternal perspective. The disciples gather them together and they say this, guys, where we're going, the path to the place we're going, the path is hard. You will not make it if you are unwilling to suffer. There's a, another verse that I've been thinking about a lot lately. It says, See to it that none of you misses God's grace and see to it that no root of bitterness grows up among you and it defiles many. Life's going to hurt, guys. Stuff's going to happen. It's going to create an opportunity for you to do what Ephesians says, which is to let the sun go down on your anger, spend your time brooding on the injustices and the hurts and the losses, and in so doing, you're going to take on a victim mindset. And once you take on a victim mindset, what happens next is then you create a villain and then you brood on the villain and you think that the only way to help the world and to save the world is to stop the villain and to warn others. And now you justify your resentment. You switch the narrative from the grace of Jesus and forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, to I better stop them from doing that and it's my personal job to bring them to repentance. And if I can't bring them to repentance, the best thing I can do for the world is to warn everyone and now they live inside of you. A version of them lives inside of you and they are shaping you, pottering you, molding you. They are Lord. And what they did to you is more important than the cross. What they did to you is more important than what Jesus did for you. And who they are to you is now more important at shaping you than who Jesus is for you in the midst of what happened. And that's super dangerous. And Hebrews says, 
Guys, make sure no one misses the grace of God. The grace is available for you to forgive, for you to detach from the gravity of that situation and, and attach instead to redemptive grace that can make it as though they've never sinned against you. Amazing. But see to it that no one misses this grace because it's not natural to receive this grace. We have to choose this grace. We have to allow. We have to surrender. We have to turn things over and over and over to Jesus. And what will happen if you don't is it won't just defile you. The story you tell out of your bitterness will become a story a whole bunch of other people around you are choosing to believe as well. And as they believe it as well, a whole bunch of people will be drawn into sin and no one will even know it is sin. But what will happen is love will erode. Isaiah chapter 40 says that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. As we keep seeking God, waiting on the Lord is an active process, not a passive process. We're not waiting in line. We're not standing around. We're actively making ourselves available to serve the Holy Spirit. That as we continue to get up every morning and make our hearts available for the Lord to host his presence, to hear his word, to meditate on who he is, to continue to pursue him, receiving him, thinking about him, thinking about his gospel, thinking about his goodness, telling the stories to ourselves, talking to him about the issues of our life, letting him into the deep things of our heart. That's what it means to wait upon the Lord, seeking him alongside his people, singing his praises, bringing him an expensive offering that costs us something significant because where our treasure is, there our heart is. That's how we guard our hearts in the midst of a world like this one. It sounds so cliche, it sounds so silly that in a world like this one, my advice would be to read your Bible, pray out loud as honestly as you know how, and find a crappy church and go there to bring God an offering of a heart that means business when it says, I wanna follow you. Where does the resilience come from? It comes from the Lord. I want to know you. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. So even though what happened to me hurt and I don't understand it, I refuse to take back ownership of my life just because I don't like how this feels. But my friend Bobby says, sometimes I actually seem to think that I would make a better God than God. Yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. When we say, you know what, I'm going to make pain avoidance the, the purpose of my life. From now on, I'm going to let pain avoidance be my goal. We're, that's what we're saying. We're saying, God, I don't care if, my, if your image is formed in me. I don't want to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus because look how they treated Jesus. I want to be liked. I want to be popular. I want to go to heaven carried on beds of ease and comfort. That's a, a Charles Haddon Spurgeon quote. I remember quoting that to a friend of mine when we were in church leadership together. I said, Harvey, to Dr. Mast, I said, you and I are following the ancestors of the faith who also followed Jesus, and they were not carried to heaven on beds of ease and comfort, and neither will we be. Yep, 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 but it's amazing. As we get up, move forward, seek Jesus, we experience the power of his resurrection. As we wait on the Lord, we find him, not us, him renewing our strength. We find him doing a restorative work in us. Not us saving ourselves, not us changing ourselves, but as we are following him, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, we find it is God working in us for his own glory and his purposes. 
That's what I got. That's what I've been thinking about. I got more thoughts, but that's enough for today.